Well, this week, somebody came up and asked me a very unusual question. I do get some unusual questions at work. Uh, this one was extremely unusual. They walked up to me out on the production floor and said, can I ask you a question? And here was the question. If you could choose, would you choose to be Jacob or would you choose to be Esau? That's a pretty interesting question. Didn't expect that one. Uh, and to be honest, if you get asked that question, I mean, I had to sit and think for just a minute. Uh, I had to begin to go back and to begin to uh, think about the qualities of each of those individuals. If you're not very familiar with those individuals within the scriptures, uh, we're going to go back and actually review those two individuals. Uh, after I was asked the question and I did answer it, uh, I thought I ought to go back and maybe jot that down because I've never been asked that one. So what we're going to do is actually we're going to review these two individuals. However, we're primarily, if you notice the title, we're primarily going to focus on Jacob, and that's because that's where the Scriptures spends the majority of their time. But again, the question was, well, if you could choose, would you be Jacob or would you be Esau? Well, as you go back and begin to look at uh, the life of Jacob in, in which Esau is included, that's recorded starting in Genesis chapter 25 through chapter 49. And as you look at his life, you could break it down into a number of different segments. I'm going to break it down into really four different primary segments. The first segment actually deals with his life as a younger person and with his parents. His parents were Isaac and Rebekah. Uh, and he's in the land of Canaan. Now, Jacob has a twin brother. His name is Esau. Uh, and as you begin to go back and look at the life between Jacob and Esau, one of the things we learn is, is there are a number of issues between the two, and primarily that should be expected. Going over to Genesis chapter 25, we're going to spend the majority of our time here in Genesis. It really should have probably been expected from the very beginning that there were issues. Notice what we find in Genesis 25, verse 28. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. All right, what do we have going on here? Well, we see very, very clearly as we begin to look at these two individuals, we have parental favoritism taking place on both sides. Now, that's going to cause a number of issues between the two. One, it, it would cause resentment. Two, it's also going to cause competition. And that's actually what we find. We, we find as we continue to read on, going over to Genesis 25, we're going to go down actually just one verse there to 29. What we find is, is Jacob actually taking advantage of his brother Esau in, I have in my notes, obtaining his birthright, but really what he's going to do is, is he's going to steal it from him. He's going to take advantage of Esau, uh, and he's going to steal his birthright. Now, I have to point this out as we begin to talk about the account. Not only is what, what Jacob does wrong here, clearly Esau he also makes a rash, very unwise decision. Follow along here in Genesis 25. We're going to start in verse 29. We'll read down to verse 34. <clears throat> and Jacob sawed pottage. We could call that stew. And Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. I'm going to touch on that here in a minute. Verse 31. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I'm at the point to die. Now let me pause for a minute. Guys, this is hyperbole. He is not, he is not at the point of which he's going to actually die. He, he's basically, he, he is so starving at this point, though. He's basically saying, you need to give me some of that or else I'm going to perish from the earth. 
So he's willing to do about anything. He says, and what shall this birthright do to me? I'm not sure if many of you guys here actually know what this birthright is worth. I'll give you some information on it here in a minute, but it's a big deal. And Jacob said, swear to me this day, and he swear unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. All right. So Esau willingly chooses to give up his birthright for a bowl of stew. And then you've got Jacob. Jacob here sees Esau, and apparently he must have had the feeling that Esau might be so as unwise as to give up his birthright. He determines that he is going to take advantage of him. Now, I want to go back and mention something that we saw uh, actually as Joe read from the Scriptures there in Genesis chapter 25. Remember here in Genesis 25, 30, it says, Therefore his name was called Edom. Well, if you go back and recall what Joe just read, uh, in Genesis 25, 23, it was made very clear that there would be two nations which would come from her womb. One of those nations would be called the Israelites. The other nation would be called the Edomites. Now, you may say, I don't really know much about the Edomites. The descendants of Esau would become known as the Edomites. They were longtime enemies of Israel. They caused a number of problems for Israel. I find it very interesting that you've got Esau and Jacob fighting back and forth, and then you have the followers of Esau and the, the lineage of Jacob fighting back and forth. The Edomites were constantly causing trouble for Israel. Uh, they were constantly battling with the Jewish nation. Uh, and with the fall of the first temple, uh, we see that it really only gets worse. Now, you may not know much about Edom or where it's even located. It's not very far. It's actually the region in the southeast area of Palestine. It stretches from the Red Sea uh, at Elath to the Dead Sea. Uh, and it really has probably the most fertile and most farmable land that is there. And that would make sense as what we begin to learn a little bit about Esau. Okay? The Edomites continued to harass and attack and cause issues uh, under Saul's uh, kingship. Now, when King David took over, King David really put the hammer down on this nation, and he actually annexed their land. Okay? The Jews always hated the Edomites, and the Edomites always hated the Jews. And when King David, who rose to power and had all this power, he came in and he drops the hammer on them. Well, later, when we see the fall at the first temple, we actually find the Edomites decide to join in and they attack Judah. Not only that, they then go in and they loot the temple and further destroy the temple. Okay, this is how much the Edomites and the Jews hated each other. And you can see why. Later, uh, the Edomites are actually forcibly converted into Judaism you guys remember how that worked for the Catholics back during when the Catholics would go into cities and basically say you're a Catholic now, they'd forcibly convert? They went in and they forcibly converted these Edomites, the followers, uh, the lineage of Esau, to become Jews. Okay. Now, let me point something out. The Edomites came from Esau. Esau married Canaanites. Do you guys remember anything about Canaanites? Well, why was that a big deal? Well, the Canaanites were the people that specifically, the Jews, specifically Moses and the Israelites were told not only to drive them out of the land and to kill them, but do not marry the Canaanites. And he lists all the nations there 
in the area of Canaan. Well, why were they not to marry them? Well, one, they weren't to mix with them because the Canaanites were, uh, and that, that's recorded back in Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 4, the, the Canaanites were pagan idolaters. And so, as a follower of God, you would not intermix or intermarry with a pagan idolater. Why would you not do that? Well, simply they would have you follow and do things that are not in accordance with the will of God. So now again, think about this for a second. <clears throat> Esau marries the Canaanite women, and we later find out that they hate the Jews. The Jews are following the way of God. The Edomites, they were all intermarried, some of them following portions of, of the Jewish faith, some of them involving paganism, some were full pagans, okay? So as you go back and you think about the fact that they were forced into Judaism, let me give you one example of an Edomite. Most of you are familiar with him. How many of you are familiar with King Herod? King Herod was the puppet king for the Romans. He's usually given credit as being the one who finished the second temple. We might know him better as the one who rounded up all of the children under the age of two and had them killed. Now, let me pause for just a second. <clears throat> if the Edomites were forced to become Jews and they were faithful, how many faithful Jews do you know that would go after to kill the prophesied Messiah that would come? I don't really think forcing these Edomites to become Jews really was effective as far as making them faithful. So one of the things that we learn real quick as we begin to talk about Jacob and Esau, and one of the problems we see is that division between two individuals oftentimes creates division within additional families and sometimes even nations. Let me bring it a little closer to home. How many remember the Hatfields and the McCoys? Those guys fought for so long, generation after generation, they didn't even know what started the initial strife in the first place, right? <clears throat> I would say the case is probably the same uh, if you were to go back and begin to look at some of Esau's descendants and Jacob's descendants and wonder why they actually hated each other so much. Well, let's go back and touch where we actually started to leave off because after Jacob steals Esau's birthright, and that's actually what he does, Rebekah, his mother, then steps in and urges him to actually go and to steal Esau's blessing. Now, did he do it? Well, of course he did. So let's go on over to Genesis chapter 27. Esau, notice what Esau says after this takes place. And he said, Is it not he rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, which he did, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not received a blessing for me? He's asking his father, But don't you have a blessing for me? Well, Jacob was indeed a cheat and a deceiver when we begin to go back and to look at him. His name actually, the supplanter, uh, is really fitting. But as you begin to look at this, the, the, the credit for all of this deception, which is actually taking place here, really goes to Rebekah. <clears throat> She's actually the mastermind of the whole scheme to go and to steal Esau's birthright. She really starts much of this process. Let me show you. Rebecca was the one that comes up with the idea, Genesis 27, 9 through 10. She's the one that actually recruits Jacob to follow along with her scheme, Genesis 27, 8. She's the one that takes the blame if anything were to go wrong, Genesis 27, 13. She's the one that actually cooks the food, Genesis 27, 14. She's the one that actually clothes Jacob with goat skins and Esau's clothing to deceive her husband, Genesis 27, 15 through 16, as they're going to steal this, his, uh, his blessing. So from the very beginning, yes, 
Jacob shouldn't have deceived or shouldn't have taken advantage of Esau initially by stealing his birthright. And here his mom actually allows him or promotes him or pushes him to actually go in and then steal the blessing that was for Esau. So was Jacob a deceiver and a cheat? He was. Uh, like mother, like son, right? I wonder where he might have got some of this from. That's really the first portion. What do we find? Well, there was a lot of strife between Jacob and Esau. We find that Esau made some really bad choices. Jacob actually takes advantage of him, first on his own by taking his birthright, second by the promotion of his mother, pushing him to actually go and then also steal the blessing from the father. Let's look at the second period of Jacob's life. And this is actually when he goes to uh, reside with his uncle Laban there in Syria. After he steals Esau's birthright and then steals the blessing, his parents urge him to leave, and rightly so. Because guess what Esau's wanting to do right now? Esau wants to kill him. And so they urge him to go and to live with his uncle. On the way to Paddan Aram, uh, Jacob has a, has a dream of a ladder that reaches all the way up to heaven with angels ascending and descending on it. And the, the Lord is above the ladder, and he actually renews the messianic promise. Okay? We then learn about Jacob. He works for his uncle for seven years so that he can marry Rachel. But at the very last minute, there is a little sleight of hand. His uncle doesn't give him Rachel. His uncle gives him Leah. Okay? Now, let me point something out here real quick. <laughs> Jacob has known Rachel and Leah for seven years. Seven years. I want you to notice what he says. Go to Genesis 29, 24 through 25. Notice what he says the next morning after he had laid with Leah. Genesis 29, 24. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah, Zilpah, his maid, for an handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? Now here's my question. Really? Really? Uh, he had known both Rachel and Leah for seven years. He knew them uh, for a very long time. Let me ask, I'm just thinking in my mind. Did any of you guys, when you got married, did you guys talk on your wedding night? Uh, you don't think that he, and let's, I, my wife said, well, she's got the veil on. <laughs> on, on my wedding night, if you had tried to swap out my sister-in-law, which I'd known for about three, almost four years, even with a veil on, even if you wrapped her from head to toe in an ace bandage like a mummy, I know the difference. They don't look the same. They don't talk the same. I know. So... Really? That's all I got to say. I'm not going to go any further than that. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here. Yes, he didn't know. Okay, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. But now he's married. Whether he didn't know or whether he did know, he's now married. And what's he decide to do? Well, he goes and complains to his uncle that you've deceived me, and I'm going to work for an additional seven years for Rachel. Let me point something out here real quick. God's intent for marriage being between a man and a woman, that was covered and set all the way back in Genesis 2.24. So Jacob knows the requirement for a husband and a wife and be becoming married. Polygamy was never ordained of God. And I'm going to tell you right now, it caused a number of problems in the Bible. We're going to cover a couple of them here with Jacob. 
Okay? We know that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Leah knew that. Rachel knew that. And God blesses Leah and he allows her to have children. And Rachel is initially barren. Now, Rachel is extremely jealous. I mean, think about it. He's got two wives. One's having children, one's not. And so the one wife is extremely jealous, and so she gives her, her servant, Bila, as a wife. And by the ancient custom, not by biblical decree, but by ancient custom, Bila's children were actually credited to Rachel. So here's what's going on. Leah can have children. Rachel can't. Rachel says, I'm going to give you my, my servant, and you can get her pregnant, and those children will come to me. And so he does, she does that. Now, all of a sudden, Leah sees that he's having children with Rachel's servant, and Leah says, you know what? I'll give you my handmaid also so that you can go into her and have children. Okay? So what do you have going on now? So he starts off with one wife. He marries a second one. Now he has two hand servants. He's sleeping with four different women. You don't think that's going to create some, just a little bit of havoc, right? One is more than I can handle, let alone four. He has got four different women that he is sleeping with. And, and there's, guys, think about all the problems it's going to create. It's just not, again, Jacob, Jacob makes some decisions that are just as bad as Esau selling his birthright. Okay, so, so far you're saying, well, who do you want to be? Do you want to be Esau or Jacob? Might seem like a hard decision so far, right? Altogether from these four women, he has 12 sons and one daughter, Dinah. The sons become the founders of the 12 tribes of Israel. And a lot of people know that, but they don't realize how it all happened. Jacob's favorite, Rachel, she bears Joseph. And the entire clan leaves Laban's country to go back to Isaac or to Canaan. But not until Jacob actually deceives his uncle, and I'm going to use this word, by stealing the best of his flock, of his sheep and his goats. All right, so now he's going to deceive his uncle. So far, it's not really looking good for either one of them, right? Who do you want to be, Esau? Or do you want to be Jacob? The third period of Jacob's life centers around his family back in Canaan. Now, that's actually when Jacob wrestles with an angel and we have his name changed to Israel. Notice Genesis 32:27. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. All right, so he's got a name change. We then have his youngest, Benjamin, being born, and Rachel dies. That would lead us into the very final portion of his life. <clears throat> and that would be Jacob's life as he migrates to Egypt after his son Joseph had been sold into slavery. Again, we could go back and you look at the deceit taking place in the family, how brother treats brother, and now you've got his own kids actually acting like or making it look like they killed one of them and then they sell him into slavery. Guys, does this seem like a messed up family you'd find today living around us? All right, things haven't changed a whole lot. So his Son gets sold into slavery, Genesis 37, 27. However, while he's there, he arises to the second in command, Genesis 41, 40. And he then has his entire family move to Egypt. What we have here really is providential. Jacob dies there, but in moving the family to there, they actually survived through the famine that was taking place at the time and ultimately the saving of the seed line of the Jews uh, through which Christ would come. 
All right, so let's, begin, let's go back and learn just a few lessons here as we look at the account with Jacob and Esau, and really as we answer the question, who would, who would you want to be? Well, let's notice a couple of lessons right, right off the bat. First of all, we find that Jacob takes advantage of his own flesh and blood. Right? He takes advantage of his brother, as we found recorded there in Genesis 25, 29 through 34. Probably all of us have done this on a small scale, right? I would say that most people who claim to be followers of God would be more than happy to help out a family member or to do something kind for them. But in the account here with Jacob and Esau, yeah, he'll help him out, but it's going to come at a price. And the price was he was going to take his birthright. Now, if you don't know much about the birthright, the birthright was uh, inherited by the firstborn son. It gave him leadership of the family. Basically, he, was, he became patriarch of the family. It also gave him judicial authority of his father. He literally could go and do business instead for his father. He could just walk in and, and he literally would, he could show his signet on his ring and he could do business for his father, okay? Not only that, he was then also entitled to two-thirds of the inheritance. Now Esau gives this up for a pot of stew. He gives it up on a whim. <clears throat> so let's touch on that for a minute. Jacob clearly is wrong in what he does to his brother. Esau is clearly wrong in the fact that he's careless. Esau, in a moment of carelessness, gives up something that is extremely important. How many of us have made a decision like that where we gave something up extremely important and looking back on it, we thought how foolish that was. That's what we find as we begin here to look at Esau. And so you've got carelessness taking place, but then as you look at Jacob, what you find is, is at this point in his life, he is a greedy, selfish person who is willing to not only take advantage of somebody, but he's willing to do it to a family member. Uh, I haven't heard anything about anybody. How many of you guys have ever had a family member actually steal something from you? If that has never happened to you, Count yourself blessed. I can think of all the families I'm aware of where things, especially when parents start dying. I have heard accounts of families being destroyed because one came into a house and took something that wasn't theirs, or they knew it was going to be willed to somebody else, or, I mean, we've all heard about it, right? It is followers of God doing horrible things and deceiving and stealing and treating their, their own flesh and blood really no different than what we find here with Jacob and Esau. So really one of the most valuable things that we learn here as we begin to look at Esau and Jacob at their interaction uh, is that, you know, as followers of God, one of the things that we're supposed to do is actually treat people the way they're supposed to be treated and not take advantage of them. Listen to what Paul says in Acts 20, 35. He says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now that's been the case whether, whether you're following the teachings of Jesus or whether you're following the Old Testament teachings of God. And when his brother came in and said, I'm so faint, I'm, I'm about to pass out. I mean, the right thing to have done would have been just give him some, right? But no, he takes advantage of it. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not, not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. 
sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then, then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? And then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Guys, it has always been taught in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament, we are to treat people a certain way. Jacob is not. At this point in his life, what we learn is, is he is a deceiver, he is a liar, he has caused a number of issues within the family, uh, and he has made a lot of unwise decisions. Again, notice what Paul says in Romans 15.1, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So far, here's what I know. Would I want to be like Esau or would I want to be like Jacob? I don't want to be like Jacob and take advantage of people and deceive them and steal from them, but so far I also don't want to be like Esau, who's extremely unwise and makes foolish, rash decisions. So as you're thinking about the question I was asked, who do you want to be, be, be like, Esau or Jacob? Right now we're kind of on an, evil, an even plane, right? Well, I don't want to be like like Jacob, you know, in his earlier life, he was a liar. With the prompting and the help of his mother, we see that Jacob lied to his father, and he actually receives his father's blessing. And there's actually so much wrong with the story, and I didn't go back and cover it all in, in great detail, but you may wonder, how is it that a follower of God could go back and deceive and act this way to his father? Notice some of the lies and the deception, right? Because if we're honest, we've all done things probably somewhat similar to this. Jacob lied when he claimed to be Esau. Jacob lied when he declared that he had done exactly as his father had told him to do. Jacob deceived Isaac by telling him the Lord had bought this venison to him very quickly. And then Jacob lied and deceived his father by jumping in on his mother's plan to wear Esau's clothing and then put skins on his hands and his neck. So, he, so Esau although makes some rash, rash decisions here, Jacob is actually taking this to a whole new level, and his mother's helping him do it. Now, here's the thing. There has never been a time under the Old Testament or the New Testament where going out and lying and deceiving people was ever acceptable under, under God. Matter of fact, listen to this. The Gentiles were condemned for, for changing the truth of God into a lie. Listen to Romans 1.25 who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Jacob is not serving God. What he is doing here is serving himself. He is very similar to actually what we read about the Gentiles according to uh, Paul's words. and they're, they're basically serving the, the, the creature. But to, to be honest, the mindset here of Jacob is really about the same. He's just serving himself. He's willing to deceive. He's willing to lie. Now, what do we know about liars? I'm going to go over to Revelation 21.8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So far, it's not looking too good. Do I want to be like Esau or do I want to be like Jacob? Now, let's consider Jacob's influence on others for just a few minutes. Jacob hurt a lot of people. And Jacob's decisions actually created a lot of strife and a lot of pain 
in his own life. And there's actually no way to go back and to measure just how much damage and hurt he did due to his unfaithfulness and wise decisions. We could actually go back and we do notice it ruins families. We notice it ruins friendships. You actually have it actually dividing two nations that would literally be at war with one another for a very long time. And here's the thing. Both of them were raised, both Esau and Jacob were raised to know right and wrong and to be followers of God. Imagine those who would have been living around Jacob and Esau who were not followers of God, who saw the interaction and ultimately what would happen between Esau and Jacob, at least their descendants. You do see a making up between the two. I didn't go back and cover that. Uh, You do see a making up between the two. However, the issues continued between the family. But think about those who would have been around. What would they have thought about those who claimed to be followers of God who were deceiving and lying and stealing. And, and guys, to be honest, when you read through some of this, it actually reads kind of like a soap opera, right? I don't know how many of you guys watch, any, anybody watch soap operas? No young and restless followers in here? That's about the equivalent of what we've got going. It's like a, it's like a bad soap opera. Guys, anybody living around them would have seen the inconsistencies of what they were doing as opposed to what they were supposed to be doing as followers of God. People, are people today quick to point out our inconsistencies in life, especially when you're a Christian? If you claim to be a follower of God uh, and you're acting like this, people are going to call it out. Uh, and it really, does, it really does damage to the members of the church. And I think sometimes our deeds are a lot more powerful than our words. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5:16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What's he saying? You're supposed to act like you're followers of God. You've got some people who are, who are very, well, maybe they're very shy or they don't have a lot of, um, they don't have a lot of encouragement to go out and try to teach others because of that. But you can look at the way a person lives and you can almost glean as much from the way they live their life as you can from them talking to you for just a few minutes about the fact that they're Christians. What's he saying? Live like you're followers of God. Jacob's not doing that. Esau's not doing that. Listen to 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Now you may say, well, so far, who would you want to be? Would you want to be Esau or would you want to be Jacob? Let's begin to go down the road here on which one I would have chosen. And actually, I did, I did answer the question this way to that individual. I began to break it all down for him. Jacob's life actually begins to change. Now, I do have to point this out. It is not an instantaneous change. We see a change begin to take place. Going over to Genesis 28, we see this change start to take place in Genesis 28, really verses 10 through 22. I'm going to read uh, verses 20 and 22 here in a second. We read of this dream that he has in Genesis 28 where God renews the messianic promise. Later, we find an actual, actually in Genesis 32 where he wrestles with an angel and he has his name changed. And the question really might be, well, why eventually was his name changed? Well, in short, Jacob changes. Uh, we learn that from Jacob's behavior and so forth. There is a change in Jacob. And notice how the change really starts here. And I, and I want kind of, to kind of tie this in. Guys, when people become Christians, the change is not instantaneous. There is a change, but it's a, it's a work in progress. 
That's what we find as we begin to look at Jacob. Genesis 28, 20, And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way, that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that shall give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Now, there's a little bit of a change that starts to take place here. Now, again, as I said, it's not instantaneous. But let's touch on this for a second. There's a change in Jacob. People change. Jacob, this is the start, really, of, of the change within Jacob. And we can look at a number of people within the Bible who change. Clearly, a great example would be Paul. Paul changed. I mean, when I go back and think about, I think about probably some of the most vile people as far as persecution of the church. I mean, Paul has to top the list, right? Paul was one who was willing to uh, persecute and to create havoc for the church. Think about Jacob's name here and why it was changed. His name Jacob actually meant supplanter, and that's actually what Esau said. These two times he's deceived me. He's taken my birthright, and now he's literally taking the blessing that was designed for me as the oldest child. In the earlier period of Jacob's life, his name actually describes who he was. He was a supplanter and he was a deceiver. He lied, he cheated, he took, he took advantage of other people, he did it to his brother, he did it to his uncle, and the case goes on and on, that Jacob had a number of issues here. But we do find that Jacob begins to change. Again, it's not instantaneous, but we have a change of heart. And notice Genesis 32, 28, and he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. All right, Israel. His name is changed from Jacob to Israel. Remember, there were two nations that came out of Rebekah's womb. You had the nation of the Edomites, and you had the nation of the Israelites. Why were they called the Israelites? Well, because Jacob's name was changed to Israel. It means prince of God or prevailer with God. And the purpose of his name change indicates a purpose or a change in, in his working relationship or his purpose in serving God. That's why we have the change in the name. And guys, let me tie this in for just a little bit. We see the exact same thing for people today when they become Christians. Jacob, who was a deceiver, a liar, a fraudster, who has a change and becomes a faithful follower of God, has his name changed from Jacob to Israel. The person who has this change within their heart today to become a follower of God, they obey the gospel, they also have a name change, right? And it's a name that was designed by God Himself. Listen to Isaiah 62, 2. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness. Let me, let me help you guys out here. All of us are Gentiles according to what, what is being written here, right? None of us grew up of Jewish lineage that I'm aware of. Uh, and so we would be classified as those that would be Gentiles. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Well, what was that new name? It's going to come into effect when the Jewish nation would die off as far as being the faithful followers of God, and the Christian nation would be born. And we see that name being used over in Acts 11.26. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first 
in Antioch. So just as Jacob is being called by a new name, we find people today who choose to be followers of God are called by a new name. Right? The follower of God is no longer going to be called a Jew. They're actually going to be called a Christian. And just like Jacob's name was, called, was changed to show this change in relationship with God, the person who begins to follow God also has a change. Right? They're no longer, I guess, people of the world. They are the people of God. They are Christians. It simply declares whose disciples we are. So then we go back to the question that I was asked. I was asked, well, who do you want to be like? Do you want to be like Jacob or Esau? I'm not sure where they even came up with that question. They must have either, either read their Bible or somebody asked them. But here was how I answered the question. I said, well, that's a tough question because Esau was very unwise in his decisions. I said, but Jacob was a scoundrel. He was a liar and a cheat and a thief. I said, however, what we find as we begin to look at Jacob was Jacob did change. Jacob has his name changed to Israel, and Jacob is the seed line through which the Messiah would come. And I said, based on that, I have to choose that I would want to be like Jacob. His name was changed to Israel because it means one who is a prevailer with God. And guys, as I thought about this, I, I've tried the, the cheat and the liar route, and so did Jacob, and it didn't work. Jacob was found to be a prevailer with God, and as much as he had done a lot of bad things, that's what we should remember him as. And I think for each of us, that's who we want to be. We want to be prevailers with God. I hope that answered their question when I told them that because they didn't give me a response. They just went, so I don't know. But I do know this, Esau... Esau did a number of bad things too. And between the two, we have Jacob, really where the Bible focuses on him. And here's one of the ways we know the Bible is not false. The Bible never hides when people mess up and make mistakes. It plainly lays it out there for us, and here's the reason why. We learn as we go back and we learn from these accounts of those in the Scriptures, and so that we don't, we don't do the same thing. I want to be like Israel, but not so much like Jacob. Jacob was the old man before the change, just like we, had old, we, had, we were the old men before we became Christians and we took upon that new name. As I draw this to a close, that's my concern for anyone here. Are you a Christian? Are you wearing the name Christ? It's not a very complicated process. We cover it every week. Uh, in the first century, the way that they would tell people to become followers of God was they would go out and teach who Jesus was, why He came, that he was the Messiah who came to establish a kingdom which is the church, which is the body. They would discuss sin and how horrible sin was and the consequence of sin, and you find those people repenting of their sin and confessing Christ and then being immersed in water for the remission of their sins. That's what we find in all the conversion accounts, and that's how easy it is for one to become a follower of God and to take upon them that new name, Christian. If you're here and you've not done that, I would urge you to let somebody study with you. If you're watching this, you can contact us and we will we'll study with you or find someone in the area that can. But as we draw this to a close, ask yourself, if you are a Christian, have you been faithful this week? The areas where maybe you've fallen short, repent of those, turn from them, and again, be faithful. As I draw this to a close, if there's a way we can help you, you can come forward as we're led in a song of invitation.